Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Kana Salbinas. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. Hello and welcome to Polycast episode 359. I am one of your regular hosts, Mega Bears fan, along with other regular co-host Makalua. Who apparently has not had enough caffeine because my brain just blanked the minute you said my name. Uh, who apparently forgot her name, along with the me and team, who hopefully did not forget his name. Nope, just inject the caffeine straight into the veins. And once again, our returning super special co-host, Dan Q. If you're willing to have blanks in your life, then please write me a blank check. Ooh. I'll fire you a blank check. Well, Promises. minus the Promises. blank check, he'll, he'll just fire you. Mm. What will he fire but- me? It's a question of what kind of fire, though, right? I'm sorry, why are we lighting each other on fire? (laughs) I was going to say, are you trying to keep each other warm for the rest of your lives, however short they are? I mean, have you guys played FTL or RimWorld or anything? It's (laughs) such a nice thing. Uh, I was going to harvest those crops, but I guess they're (laughs) pre-roasted. Yeah, heck, in Minecraft, you can cook stuff that way. Or at least you used to be able to. I don't know if that's still true. Well, yeah, you, 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 you can still hit pigs and sheep and everything with a flame sword and get cooked. Whatever, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> pre-roasted, pre-packaged, pre-chewed. Wait, maybe not the last thing. Ew, not the last one. Gross. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not a baby bird. Interesting. But you haven't denied being a bird, just not a baby bird. Okay, I'll make a note. Maybe a Stellaris build she's been experimenting <laughs> with. Some gene editing. Some rather extreme gene editing. I thought I was just supposed to drink a certain energy drink to get wings. Indeed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. They sponsored the show finally? Man, I was trying for years. That's why I only said energy drink. I didn't mention the name. Yeah, but you mentioned wings, though. It's practically like naming the product anyway. (laughs) Do we at least get some kind of referral? By by we, I mean you, obviously. But I can live vicariously. Yeah, 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 they'll send me one can or something. Big referral. As long well, as that's like having a one-hit wonder, though. I mean, that's more hits than most people have. So if you get one can, that's one more can than the rest of us got. Come on now. As long as this energy drink has all the electrolytes that plants crave. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have all the electrolytes that, you know, um, avians crave, because apparently Mackie's bird. For now. Caffeine, energy drink, something make my brain work better. Mackie, are you like a bird? You want, you want to fly away? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so if I was may- up in the sky, I'd be properly isolated, wouldn't I? <laughs> that would be practicing good social distancing. Yes, six physical distancing. distance. I, sh- <laughs> I should say physical distancing. Social distancing is the exact opposite of what we're doing right now and talking to each other, uh, <laughs> or, or we're just talking at each other, not necessarily with each other anymore. I, I don't know. Going for the technically correct, which is the best kind. Of kind of yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right. Before this gets out of control. Yeah, okay, so speaking of extremes, uh, my fellow co-hosts were giving their top three... Oh, sorry. So, not interrupting the uh, audio bot. Speaking of extremes, my fellow co-hosts gave their top three uh, best and worst things about Civ Six in the previous episode. I did not make it. So I will be uh, making that up now. I've been delinquent, so hopefully no more. We'll start with the likes. Um, so I, I wrote down my three here. First would be the uh, district uh, districts and planning uh, for tiles. 
I, I think that's one of the game strengths. I would put it very close to maybe even ahead of Civ 4 in terms of the quality of that interaction. Uh, there's a whole lot you can do uh, with the interactions. Uh, planning ahead really makes a big difference in the strength of your position in the game. And uh, there's multiple things you can do that are viable to the highest difficulty levels in single player. So uh, there's a lot to like there and a lot of trade-offs to make depending on what's procedurally generated. So that, that's one of the things I really like about Civ 6 is it's uh, some of its design elements and that one in particular are really good. Uh, speaking of good design elements, my second one would be the uh, the card system in the game where you're switching out and and as you get stronger governments, then you get uh, you have more card options available uh, that you can place and you also get more as you tech. So this system feeds nicely into its tech and uh, social what's it <laughs> the, the one for culture civic uh, yes the, the tech and civic trees very nicely and there's this there's so much you can do with the planning for it and the timing for it you know to get your builder charges or to get your unit discounts or to get your production stuff or uh, push other yields and all of that can be timed very tightly I, I think that's probably more interactive than any replacement system that's existed in the past so that's something I've been impressed with and have enjoyed since the game was released. And the third thing that I like is that this is probably the best iteration of Civ from a balance of military investment versus tech investment standpoint. In other words, you can invest heavily into your military units and have them perform at about a, a further era ahead. But you, at some point, the uh, technological advantage is still really significant. Uh, going back into previous Civs, uh, tech is king, and tech is still king in Civ Six, but it's less uh, than it was in previous ones. So it's not the kind of thing where you just hit a breakpoint like rifles and then just murder somebody immediately uh, because that advantage is so extreme. Uh, Civ Six handles the gradual progression of that a lot more reasonably, uh, so that there is really room to make <laughs> to take advantage of some of the district stuff I mentioned earlier, and that's something that I've also liked a lot is that you don't have those really jarring breakpoints that it just forced you to go there every game or you don't have to like just always invest 100% in attack all the time to perform decently okay so for dislikes there's nobody's going to be <laughs> nobody's going to be surprised by my top three words and i want to say off the bat the first two were very easy uh, to pick and the last one was kind of a throw in uh, really the, the two big things for me are ui and ai uh, UI and, and specifically time wasting, time between turns, but especially the, the UI design is really bad in Civ 6. The number of inputs you need to accomplish something is still many times more than you need. Um, to nobody's surprise, I'm, argue, I'm complaining about this again, but I mean, it is the biggest deal breaker for me in the game. So uh, I'm going to, to mention it. And then uh, yeah, AI's constantly complaint on the forums. I I am willing to give Fraxis more of a pass here than most, uh, but it is still a significant limiting factor in the game. And there's also the design aspect, which I don't agree with, which is that the AI does not play to win, so to speak. It does not try consistently. Well, I think another big issue with the uh, AI is that the aforementioned districts and uh, policy cards, all the foreplanning that is inherent to those systems, it just you know further highlights how bad the AI is at doing those things. True, but it, that kind of system is one of the hardest things to make an AI do well. Uh, right. Limited, like 
making long range planning with uh, in with incomplete information or imperfect information is right. like which, <laughs> which is why we rarely harp on that the things that we usually harp on are the stupid things like the uh, ai's bringing a bunch of archers into a city siege and not bringing any melee units you know those yeah. are the things that we can think about we don't yeah, tactical stuff is really them. brutal and that yeah, would probably although, be the low hanging fruit to improve as well yeah, although there are the, the easy things like the AI not, you know, I think the AI could probably be smart enough to do something like buy a tile if its adjacency bonuses are going to be substantially better than what it would have gotten, you know, with just the tiles that it has. Because we I see that all the time where there's a nice little place where it could have tucked the campus in between three or four mountains, but it didn't because it doesn't own that tile yet. So it just put the campus next to its city getting a whopping plus half uh adjacency bonus it could be better i think it would be hard to make it as good as a human because like when you're when you're doing something like that you need an algorithm that works right and so you're always going to have some issues at the margins i I would say it's so grossly bad now that even relatively rudimentary algorithms would probably perform better uh than what we're seeing in the game in terms of considering tiles for purchase well, the so, game gives pretty decent recommendations for where to put cities. So you'd think they could have a similar logic for where to put districts. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, city recommendations are okay, I guess. I, I wouldn't give it as high a phrase as pretty good, but yeah. I've seen worse. Yeah, I have too. It, I, I remember <laughs> it's probably better than that than the earlier Civ games. It's not, it's not I, yeah, good, I, but the other earlier Civ games were really bad. So I guess I remember yeah. Civ fives being absolutely atrocious. <laughs> yeah, so Civ fours were early out, in the yeah. games. Yeah, so Civ six is at least better than that one was. Speaking of earlier Civ games and things that were atrocious, oh, user interface, high Civ three. I think, <laughs> uh, geez, yeah, but like I, I think out of all the games in the series, only Civ four had a reasonably good UI. Unless yeah, you were really the issues bothered. by limiting you uh, somewhat. Yeah. Unless yeah, you weren't bothered by information overload, because Civ 4 did just put a crap ton of information all over the screen. I mean, yeah, but even it, if it I wasn't... didn't use it all the time, I, f- I find myself looking for similar information in Civ 5 and 6. Where's the stuff you could toggle it. You could toggle a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But where Civ 4 absolutely dominated. And all the other entries in the series by a wide margin. It's just the economy of inputs to get anything done. That was such a big issue in Civ 1 through 3. And it's been just a nightmare after Civ 4. And there's no reason that it needs to be a nightmare after Civ 4. But it certainly is. Yeah, things like what diplomatic to, relationship yeah. webs and, and yeah stuff like that. Like, why are those things not still in the game? Like, they had that in Beyond Earth. Like, why the heck could we not have it in Civ 5 and Civ 6? Yeah, that'd be nice, too. But very uh, much like- for me, the number one thing is like moving units on a turn-to-turn basis, giving it, yeah, orders to cities on a turn-to-turn basis. These kinds of things, because they are so frequently done, having bad economy of inputs for them adds a lot of time played per game. And it's just dead time. Like There's no strategy to clicking a few extra times than you need to. Yeah. And I that, hurts. Movement, that really yeah. hurts. Yeah, the, the one uh, unit per hex really exaggerated the unit movement problem. You know, you, you path half a dozen units to approximately the same spot and it interrupts you to say, hey, I, I, I can't go there anymore. Yeah, yeah but you can. You, and, and now it's like, okay, you no, know, you cannot move on to the hill right now because you only have one movement left. But I gave you a previous order to go there. So just end your turn until yeah. I tell you to do something else. And that, I, I know some people might be listening and saying, oh, that, but that only takes a second or two. Yeah, but how often, kind of to Phil's point, how often do you do that in a game where there's absolutely 
It's like, I can't move it anywhere else. There was nothing new introduced. It's not like suddenly there's an enemy unit there and maybe I want to change the path. That would be perfectly fine to then prompt me to do something. But there's well, just... Well, the problem just... there, though, is that the game doesn't prompt you to do it. The game just does it automatically and you end up with those situations where units just keep walking back and forth and never get to where they're going because something in the fog of war keeps getting in the way, preventing them from going to or through a specific tile. So they change the path and then something else blocks that path. And then they change back to the old path. And then I've seen times where they just keep doing that over and over and over again. And at the very least, what the game should do is give you a little notification thing saying, Hey, a unit's path has been blocked. Would you like to change it? And if you don't do anything, it should just keep walking in the direction it was going until it gets to the thing that's blocking it and then stops. Yeah. And I realize the one unit per hex thing is not going to allow us to say, hey, group all of these six units I want to highlight. All of these six units and all of you go to this particular tile. But it would be nice to even highlight all of them and say, I want you to go to this, you know, approximate area. And then they could fan out accordingly. Maybe I'm asking too much for it. But other than the unit thing, which, of course, Phil has already mentioned, we've kind of gotten here to. For just user inputs, for example, like going to city screen, I would love keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, honestly, that would be they fantastic. are sorely missing from Civ oh. Five and Civ Six. The, the keyboard shortcuts mm-hmm. are pretty bad. I mean, I kind of see it there. in other other programs as well. It's just kind of I'm sorry, are you, is the programmer from a generation where you do everything with a mouse? Uh, where's the keyboard shortcut for this? So hardly Civ Six is not or and Civ Five are not alone in that in terms of design. Is this kind of a greater call to people who design programs? Please, 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 keyboard shortcuts, please. They're um, so much faster. So so much faster. It would be it would be fantastic, and so between that, which kind of applies to the game and beyond, and then the the unit thing, I kind of feel like we're already tackling at least a third of the extra time that you are going to spend in a single player experience, at the very least, in terms of just being bogged down in terms of decisions, which is of course only exaggerated more in multiplayer when there's a turn timer. Really? Yeah. Well, there's the um, there's the input slash animation buffering too. That didn't make my top three, but that is pretty frustrating in that you and oh man, maybe I should move into three, but I, 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 my number three right now is the scale of units and cities uh, versus cities and tiles, um, which we've talked about on the show. And I know yeah. uh, Mega Bears fans also commented on frequently. It would I be nice just to have more space between cities and more space for units to fit. Yeah, in fact, which I, would I then think tie that into was the user interface issue brought up last units, time. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, so th- that's my number three. But yeah, the the input buffering is pretty rough. Like, at least as of the last time I've played Civ Six, there's you still when you give an order to a unit and you try to order the next unit, you can sometimes outspeed the the game keeping up with that, which is crazy. Especially because like if you're turning animations to quick, or I mean, you should be able to turn them off, honestly, uh, but you can't, I guess? Question mark. Like that that shouldn't be possible. It should not be possible to outspeed the games ui on your own turn at least not for a normal human like i'm I'm not doing like korean starcraft strats with like 300 apm (laughs) here and this issue is severe enough that if you put somebody like the top pro in starcraft in a game and ask them to manage like 20 cities in civ 6 he could not keep up with me managing 50 cities in civ 4 just because the ui is that bad not because i'm that fast (laughs) the ui is just bad and that really it really cuts into the amount of time you have for the game otherwise. It used to be, in previous iterations, was the city list that lets you edit the city builds and queue the city builds from the city list, including yeah, there... orders to multiple cities simultaneously. 
There is the list of cities that shows all yeah, the yields. Yeah, can't. Not I thought just there was a multi queue though. There yeah, is a multi queue now, but you need to be in the specific city screen. I don't think you can do yeah. that from. Yeah, I know there's a multi queue. Yeah. There's been a multi queue for a while in Civ Six, but there, like the city list storm, is not the Civ Four city list, and it is not close because in that not only could you sort by any yield you wanted, but you could give orders to those cities, including queuing using uh, keyboard shortcuts, of course, from that screen. So you could manage your entire empire from your city list very easily. Yeah, for everything other than we, you know, say waypointing units to where you wanted them to go, which you cannot do in the newer games. Again, for some reason, one of the things that sped up city management considerably for me was I went into options and I turned on the uh, the setting checkbox thing that just automatically opens up the queue whenever you go into the city screen. So I don't have to click that extra button to open the queue. It's just always there. Yeah. So the biggest issue that I have now with queuing builds in cities is there's no way to like just shift the order of things in the queue. You have to like drag the first thing into a specific spot. And then like, if you wanted to change the order of everything, you then have to go and change the order of everything. You can't just like shift one item, like back one, you know, and or yeah. shift one item up one and then everything else, you know, stays where it is. It's that's that sort of thing is annoying when you want to like, you know, when a, uh, when the situations change and there's some new build that's prioritized and you want to move the item at the back of the queue to the front of the queue, you can do that, but it's going to swap the first and last items, which means you then have to go and put the original first item in the second spot. And then the second spot goes to the back and then you got to put the second thing in the third spot. And uh, yeah. like, I, I want to just be able to drag the last thing to the front and then shift everything back. And I, I don't want to knock it too much because they have made some improvements to this, certainly since the Civ 6 vanilla dropped. Uh, the game is much better, you know, for, if, even from a UI perspective, than it was. It, it's just still the worst part of the game for me. As you said improvements, my first thought went to mm, search feature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the trading, the <laughs> there's, there's really a lot to list. Like, and, they have not done the, nothing, but... And in the last uh, episode, I brought up the uh, the pins and labels, which is like an awesome addition to the UI that uh, I feel probably not enough players uh, use or are aware of. Yeah, awesome just return the to crap the out of other people's uh, <laughs> in the crap out of other people's land in multiplayer. <laughs> <laughs> not the uh, least bit crazy thing. No, not at all. Why would Phil do that? <laughs> I, I'm not <laughs> the one who did that, although I thought about it. Oh. <laughs> Because someone had a pin like on my capital or something, and I couldn't get rid of it, and it was annoying me. So it occurred to me that I could do this to somebody else, but make like two dozen pins or something. But I didn't yeah. actually go that far. All right, let's zoom in a little more, or a little farther out on the map, so I can get around this stupid pin to highlight what it is that I want on that hex. So I'm not getting rid of the stupid <laughs> pin. <laughs> no, yeah. I've never done that. No, no, never. What's really fun is when you have pinned your capital so people know where you're on a multiplayer map, and then you get attacked and you're trying to click on the city defense thing to fire, and it just like keeps clicking on the unit or clicking on the pin. It's like, I need to fire things, and there's a turn timer. Stop it, Just game. press the hotkey to fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, what you need to do is you need to fire the pin, so then you can fire the unit. Huh? We're playing darts? Well, I mean, you have an advantage. You are a bird, so... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, New polycast rumors. (laughs) New that you're aware of. Uh, I mean... Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know what you're... uh, And I'm going to exaggerate for dramatic effect. I don't know what you're talking about. 
with Mackie being a bird, should I bring back the Corvid 19 joke again? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I don't know if you should, but you could, and I think you just did. I just did, yeah. There's just all over the place. There's so many, so many birds. (laughs) There's also things all over the place birds do, but anyway. Mm. (laughs) Dear. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. I like how we, uh, understandably, we spent time discussing the worst things, not the best things, because that's boring. Uh, (laughs) Why would we spend time doing that? We wouldn't want to. Like the previous episode is, we like this game, we swear. Yeah, we do. (laughs) We do. We could, we would just like it more if it. There's just a few things. (laughs) Just a few things. Okay. Page 10. (laughs) All the. Depends on how you define few, I suppose. Only ten pages, huh? Wow, okay. Well, I didn't say I was done. I mean, we're not we're not in ten. Paradox Game territory, question mark? Oh, oh yeah. Paradox if, game, though. Yeah, if, if, if we were doing a, a Madden podcast, uh, oh, I would hardly God. ever have anything good to say, so... Uh, oh, no. I, I, I'm going to make this statement, and I know people are going to want to pounce on me for it, and also be kind of curious, Dan, why would you make this statement? But I'm so glad you said Paradox, because... <laughs> wait, what? Yeah, why are you glad might... about that? <laughs> well, it actually sets up a nice segue for the next topic. Dan has secretly been training at Hearts of Iron. Mm. That would be a secret even to myself, so that's pretty secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, you so, wouldn't want to give out intel on other players or yourself. That's true. Not willingly, anyway. Yeah. Well, I said you wouldn't want to. Well, um, I, I'm not unless I, I, I actually did want to to just try to subvert the whole process, including that's myself. Yeah. Subverting yourself, there, listeners, try that today, or, or or don't, you know, and don't tell us about it. Uh, speaking of not telling about things, <laughs> there, there's another, there's another unintentional segue. That could be the episode title, Unintentional Segue. Fantastic. Uh, and I know that was just the audio cue going away, but that was so well-timed. Thank you, audio cue. <laughs> DLC XP speculation for Civilization VI. Of course, that's is an expansion pack. Is it downloadable content? Is the game done already? Question mark. Are they working on Civ Seven? Question mark. Maybe, of course, that comes up in conversation. And in the absence of evidence of anything, then we speculate on everything. Now, Dan, what was this mention about Paradox? Well, there are a couple of threads on Civilization Fanatic Center. One started in March and another before that started in December, trying to speculate on what is next for the game. We last saw an update in September of 2019, which was, well, a while ago. Let's not do the math. Uh, Roughly a year and a half. Close enough. uh, User Askia Mohammed said, this is my speculation. They are going the paradox route when it comes to downloadable content, basically a money printing machine. They've seen people uh, desires for more frequent updates, and they've gone to the trouble of porting it out to nearly every conceivable platform. To me, this tells us there will be more content, and it will come in the form of more frequent but smaller plug-and-play features. Well, uh, and he also makes reference to a survey about taking the survey results to heart. I know it was talked about on a previous podcast episode last year that 2K sent out a survey to Civ users, which was only available for about a day or so, 
I recall the timeline correctly, it was really short. And essentially, it asked you a bunch of questions. Uh, would you be interested in, for example, a $5 Wonder Scenario Pack or $20 downloadable content or sieves or like $40 for a full expansion, thanks to the summary from Kmart Elvis. Uh, other questions were regarding how often we would like new content from small updates quite regularly or more bigger stuff with longer time between them, quote-unquote. And then there is someone else uh, shortly after that who said, Ah, this is why I believe a DLC season does not make sense at all. This appears to have been planned for some time, but the last content added to the game was again in September. Games don't get regular DLC after such a long time for a reason. Civ 6 is not trending anymore. A lot of players will have moved on to new things, and you need simple. You need something simple and more relevant than a DLC to catch on old players. In other words, if you want to keep players invested in new downloadable content, you simply don't leave the game without new content for uh, such a long time. This long development time does not make sense for DLC, and again, we have no reason to think that plans have changed. But if they are adding DLCs, uh, says this person, which is Osiyeza, O-S-I-Y-E-E-Z-A, um, if they are adding DLCs, they are developing, testing multiple DLCs at once. Again, this does not make sense. From a business model, it's much better to release one DLC at a time with short development times to keep players invested and to receive money all along the process so you know how well you're doing, you profit from the previous DLC when developing new ones, and the game is not abandoned without new content for a long time. It kind of, kind of boiling down to, you know, different camps. There doesn't seem to be a general consensus that Civ 6 is done. And there's a related thread about Steam Depot updating that has also people paying attention. And for some people listening, you might, well, what are you talking about? Well, of course, we know that since Civilization V, you get Civ through Steam, the game distribution platform. And Steam has depots. A depot is a logical grouping of files which are all delivered to a customer as a single group. Depots are uniquely identified by depot ID. And it seems that 2K and Fraxis are getting kind of creative with their depots. Names, including but not limited to, soon trademark. And so some people are speculating that as a result, there are updates coming, that there is new things coming. But is it just downloadable content piecemeal? Is it going to be over a short period of time? Is it going to be a long period of time? Is there going to be an expansion pack instead, a third expansion pack? Is there going to be an expansion pack too? How will patches play out? Will patches just be for the base game or the new stuff? Or will it be combined? Will they pay for it? Will there be this paradox model for paying and distribution? And anything and everything and else in between. So I guess kind of again in the absence of, of talking about new content, since there seems to be a lot of discussion that has already happened in terms of strategy and general discussion about what is and what is not in the game kind of leading also into here shortly what we would like to see added and changed to the game, which is a, also a good spring off off of what we think the best and the worst things in the game are. We've already kind of touched on that. And I think we felt as a panel, even, you know, I'm just a recurring guest, handsome that I am, <laughs> if I do say so, huh? and I just did, that it would not be, what is the word? That would be doing a disservice to the community on this podcast to not acknowledge the speculation because the speculation is out there. But when you're going through these threads like I was, there are times where you have to kind of parse things a little and, of course, take things with a grain of salt. Some people start coming to a conclusion based on you know, their own thing that they like and they're drawing conclusions about this, that, and the other thing and intentions and whatnot. And... Quite frankly, it's kind of like, I don't know why 2K and Firaxis would release anything at all, because people are just talking about this 
constantly and people are talking about the game, so why release anything? We'll just we'll just let them keep talking about it until the end of time. Yeah, I don't know if that would work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it hasn't been tried now, has it? <laughs> I don't know, there's plenty of games where the developers stopped releasing content. Like, I don't know, almost every game ever. <laughs> yeah, at some point. Um also in the thread, a clue without said, it seems, I'm just guessing, but it seems like a delay might come from three sources. It seems like Fraxis was heavily involved in rolling out the console ports. Second, it seems like there may have been a change in release strategy from releasing a third expansion to releasing discrete DLC, which is what the survey seems to suggest. And third, it seems to have something to do with timing generally. It's possible Firaxis wants to delay stuff because they want to give consumers more time to absorb all the current uh, expansions, etc., and get willing again to spend more money. Now, the yeah, thing the about console the... ports were just like what this uh, holiday season, right? This past December. Yeah, was it the December the... before that? <laughs> Ro- rolling now. out the you know rolling out the base game and the expansions available on the console. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, maybe they want to bring everyone up to speed, all the platforms that they want to reach people across. So if and when something new comes out, then it's more simultaneous. Get everybody on the same page first. That's plausible. Right. Yeah, so if, if you're playing Civ on the Xbox or PlayStation, the game's only been out for like four or five months now. So, you know, it's it would actually probably be pretty soon for a, a new DLC or expansion from the perspective of those players. Phoenician Gold said, I don't think the survey would have been reason to change their distribution schedule so much as a symptom that they were already going to do. Yeah, they were trying to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Uh, Killer Rabbit says, Fraxis and 2K really need to rethink their communication strategies. Obviously, they'll never be as open and transparent as an indie studio, which is understandable, but their current strategy is more tuned to 2005 than 2020. Wow. <sighs> It's kind of one of those, I think you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. If you're constantly engaging and dropping little hints in between updates but not giving anything substantive, then the community's going to say, stop teasing us and tell us something when you have something to tell us. No, and guy. this extreme is kind of, tell us something, even if it, even if it is just idle speculation and little dribs and drabs. We'll take something, anything. It would be nice to know that they are still working on and supporting the game. Like, uh, for instance, again, I, I keep talking about I write uh, strategy guides on uh, my blog over at www.megabearsfan.net. If you want to check it out. Um, and I have had a disclaimer on every one of those strategy guides since the release of Civ Six, saying that this is still a living game and stuff can change as Firaxis updates or patches it. I have still yet to remove that disclaimer because I had no idea whether or not the game was going to be done yet or not. So it would be nice to know. Uh, Yeah, I think it's smart to leave such disclaimers like there for such things. And also the date that you published such things as well, which is tied to your posts. Um, Based on your feedback, I've started including change logs on all of those guides as well. So if things do change, uh, there's a record of those changes because uh, you nagged me about that at uh, one point. (gasps) <gasps> me nag somebody about something <laughs> I don't I completely resemble that remark uh, Civilization 6's associate producer Kevin Schultz who was formerly in marketing and QA um, actually said something this month it was his first uh, post on Civilization Fanatic Center since last December in response to the future update Steam Depot updates thread which by the way is almost at 100 replies and more than 31,000 views as of this recording uh, Kevin said, I would hope by now you all know we 100% pay attention to what's said here. Group hug. 
and I've said on on several occasions before that I do think Firaxis is good at listening to community feedback. Again, I always point to the Gods and Kings expansion for Civ Five, which was literally just a wish list of you know most requested items from the forums. Uh, one of which was literally just them uh, adapting and implementing a mo- a popular mod that someone had created, which was the uh, the religion system. So, you know, they're better than many other studios about listening to and reacting to, uh, you know, fan and community feedback. So I would suspect that if they're changing their release model, it might be less to do with Firaxis and more to do with 2K. Being that 2K owns Firaxis, yeah. 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 It's ultimately their direction. Whatever direction Firaxis is taking, 2K's approval is required. And 2K's, you know, the the CEO of 2K has said, like, in the past, like, he wants microtransactions and loot boxes in every single 2K game. Like, so far, that hasn't happened yet, thankfully. And the political situation regarding that sort of stuff has changed considerably over the uh, last year or so. Thank you, Star Wars Battlefront 2 and EA. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, So I'm... You know, crossing fingers that that's not what they're going to start putting in in Civ. But like with these video game publishers these days, you never can tell. Oh gosh, I thought you were going to say you know, and Two K CEO Take Two uh, Take Two CEO, which owns Two K Games, you know, did also make the comment about strategy games not being contemporary. But we don't need to revisit that. Um, I actually liked what before the, what Kevin said on CFC back on the twelfth of December in twenty nineteen. So shortly. I think it was not even a week after that first speculation thread that I alluded to came out, where he said, there are two things I like in this world, not tainting the purity of speculation and tainting the purity of speculation. So I I think it's kind of one of those, we are listening, we're paying attention, we're working, and when we're ready to speak, it's it's going to be meaningful. Process fingers. Yeah, and I would imagine that the, uh, you know, worldwide pandemic that's going on has uh, not helped with release schedules and communication of, you know, upcoming products because they might have no friggin' clue (laughs) when anything's going to happen at this point. Someday, eventually, question mark? (laughs) Yeah, back to the soon trademark on the Steam Depot. Yeah. Soon trademark. Will this game release pre or post apocalypse? We're not sure yet. Hmm. Hmm. Or even during. Yeah, I suppose that's also an option. And if they follow the, the DLC season schedule, then maybe they'll release it before, during, and after the apocalypse. Oh, they can yeah. have the best and worst of both worlds at the same time. That's right. All the world conflicts will be resolved by competing in the strategy games, multiple strategy games. That's how they will decide. Man, I I, I really want to take the bait for Politicast, but I'm not going to. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also enjoyed Kevin Schultz, uh, maybe to conclude this speculation thread, we're speculating about speculation, on Twitter. Uh, he, <laughs> he tweeted, since April's Fool Day got cancelled, here are a couple Civ Six ideas I actually spent time writing in 2019. Announcing Civilization VI 2. Wow. Or, can, how's, uh, I kind of went a, Aw. can the new Civ Six baby leader stand the test of bedtime? Wow. <laughs> Bedtime for Genghis. Yeah, that's going to go well. Monty? <laughs> now we have to learn all of their middle names. Otherwise, oh, how yeah, will so they, they know we're serious? That's how will true. they know they're in trouble? Um, My favorite is probably still the uh, fighting game one from way back when. Oh, oh Grand Slam. Slam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> five. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> mm. 
I could still do that. Yeah. They could, if they if they really wanted to. If they you really, really microtransactions into that one real easily. It's true. Un- <laughs> you've unlocked a new combo. wig for George Washington. Oh, I was gonna say get um Unlock Buff Washington. Yeah. Get get Catherine of France some new threads. He'll kick you <laughs> apart. As in literally a threat. Yes. <laughs> oh. Have to have a line about a trade agreement coming from the ruler of England. Well, of course. Well, speaking of things added, really like DLC things and not DLC things and adding costumes and not adding costumes, what do we want to see added, changed, or deleted from the game? <laughs> oh, hmm. deleted from the game. Unnecessary micromanagement. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. we, want to, we want to be specific and helpful with this, right? Oh, cool. oh, oh right, are, are we supposed to set realistic expectations? I mean, hold up. Oh, well, what's this qualifier now? Hang on. <laughs> oh, I didn't sign up for that. I'm going to go with something I saw in one of the other threads where it was talking about the DLC stuff, and they kind of got a little bit into that topic there. But somebody's like, let's have a health system again. And I'm like, oh, God, no. I remember <laughs> Civ 4 in the health system. No, please, no. I mean, well, Why don't I we just you- add corruption while we're at it? And have corruption in the healthcare system. There you go. Civ and it can be politicasting, too. Oh, as bad as corruption. Yeah. Civ 4 health was okay. Yeah, yeah but still... Needed, uh, but- who <laughs> play devil's advocate though, I could easily see like a disease and pandemic system being slotted into the game using mechanics similar to religion and loyalty, where you just have a disease in a city and it has pressure <laughs> to other cities until yeah. eventually that it might not be the most timely thing to do right now, but I could <laughs> easily see that fitting in the game. Because I or think could ar- was- you could argue it is the most timely thing to do right now. I, I mean, maybe, uh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a system like that that with, with, with what you're talking about, the pressures and things, where you could add just a uh, like like you could add buildings to the city city center now. Like we do, start adding sewers and other things for sanitation and stuff. I don't know that I'd want a whole other district dealing with health buildings, which I think was part of that suggestion. Yeah, and the yeah. the model of because what was the purpose of uh, unhealth and so far? It was really a constraint on your growth. That, yeah, that was. That was literally it. So if you have buildings that are removing that constraint on your growth in Civ 6, they are really serving nearly the same purpose without bothering to add the extra mechanic. There's very little functional difference between the two. I mean, yeah, you could add some other things. Well, even then, though, you can right now just boost your your pop cap with, you know, whatever. It doesn't need to be a building. And the game has that available. So you basically have the Civ War health system in Civ Six already. You just don't have the the bloat in addition to it. You yeah, just have it's, it's one instead of two. Yeah. yeah, I mean housing is basically already serving that function, and we have amenity as well. So yeah, we already well, have we already have two systems. Yeah, I, I've always thought of how Civ had a happiness system too, and yeah. that was. Right, there's always been the the two systems. I, I always just thought of housing as being an abstraction for you know health because it's you know it's, it's an abstraction of overcrowding, right? And and one of the issues you run into with overcrowding is disease. So not having enough housing means you're either cramming people into the housing that does exist and spreading disease, or people are living out on the streets, which is also going to spread disease. So like either way, you kind of come back to the same thing. It's just they don't call it that anymore. Now, yeah, to be it, fair, I miss poisoning people's water because that was hilarious, <laughs> especially if you yeah. also destroyed their health buildings with spies. I, I remember in one of our Civ 4 MP games, I starved someone down the pop one that way because I, I, I destroyed all their health buildings, even their granary, and then uh, poisoned the water. And that was really brutal. 
Yeah, they've taken what we used to have in Civ 4 and somewhat in Civ 5 and repackaged it and thought about how can we have still have a system that's going to slow down your growth and not be such a pain to manage as the other one was sometimes. Or, you know, fun things like, hey, all my cities are nice and green and miasma, oh, great, you know. I mean, lovely. it wasn't that hard to manage in Civ 4, yeah, especially because you could trade resources for it mm-hmm. and build buildings. It, it, it was pretty similar to now, actually. It was just yeah. the same exact in thing practice. as the luxury system, just with a different set of resources. Yeah, it was, I mean, yeah. it was it was literally the same system was just copied twice in Civ Four. Yeah. So I, hopefully, I don't, I don't think we need it in Civ Six. It's already yeah. there, no. basically. Right, but like I said, I could easily see something that uses a similar model to loyalty and religious pressure that would, you know, do a, yeah, a know, pandemic a, type of thing. a spread of disease kind of thing and i could easily see a medical district being added to the game mm. you know probably not something that you build in every city but something maybe along the lines of the industrial hubs where like it has an area of effect that goes out so many tiles yeah uh, boosted unit healing uh, too let's go yeah I something feel like, like that i think we've already got a basis for that in the form of the aqueduct i mean that's yeah. uh the, the district non-district right so we can yeah. do something we could do something with that to help incorporate that into the game as as long as we felt it wasn't replicating systems that are already in there and as long as whatever's being introduced there is a counter to it like for example oh oh don't have enough housing oh well here have sewer system i mean well, also amenity the, indoor plumbing thank you if there were a medical district i think you would almost certainly see a spy mission to sabotage it somehow whether that's you know actively spreading diseases there or just trying to sabotage the you know housing that they have available and you know they're uh, an increasing for lack of a better word, uh, disease pressure. Uh, yeah, you definitely see something that would target that district if it were a district. Higher chance of getting a random new disease to spread if you have a research lab. Are there any espionage missions right now that target the Aqueduct District? I can't. I don't think there is. Is there? I don't, don't take the dead silence as a Yeah, I don't think so. Think so. Yeah. We could be wrong. Let's let's stop. Double check. Just need a plague catapult. Then we'll be good. Because that was the there's the, the people who want history. There's that the Black Plague that was historical. Yeah, it could be a new Mongolian unique unit. <laughs> the Plague Catapult. Yeah, I'll go over well. <laughs> I mean, it would be something where you need uh, you need mechanics so that players can manage it. Yeah, but you know, if you had that, it wouldn't be awful per se. Yeah, I mean, you'd have like doctor units, maybe a great doctor, you know, great person, you know, stuff like that that would go around and and reduce illness and stuff like that, or, or maybe you, you know, even need the would. units. You could probably yeah, get by not. building it into the district system and having like a health stat for a city that's modified by something. Well, the, the reason like, I'm you thinking could, you could definitely do something like that would be because otherwise you would need that those buildings and districts in every city. So I'm thinking maybe you would have like, you know, cities that would specialize in it and those would, you know, just like your holy sites would produce your your doctors or healer units which would be like the apostles and missionaries that would go to the other cities and I deal don't know with that it. we need to do it that way. Like and I think it's more interesting if you have some mechanics that are not basically mirroring a ton of things that are already in the game like you could have cities be more susceptible the larger they are right because you have incentive to make bigger cities in the first place due to the yields Um, i mean i'm not saying it has to be that way i'm just going for the lowest hanging fruit which is what would be the easiest way to implement this and co-opting an existing system to do it would be the easiest way to you know i I guess if we're doing it through the numbers then it wouldn't necessarily be that much more challenging to just make uh, smaller cities less susceptible and yeah. have like a health threshold where you're at risk, et cetera. 
Yeah, and, and I'd rather have it do things like travel over trade routes and, you know, stuff like that as well. Maybe even like, you know, domesticated animals spread illness. So the more improved animal resources you have in the city, maybe that, you know, actually improve us, uh, you know, risks uh, more spread of disease or, you know, Ooh. stuff like that. Closing foreign trade. That would be. <laughs> yeah, man. Closing your borders because you don't want the, you know, plagued. Uh, civilization next to you to spread the plague to your civilization. That would be a valid diplomatic decision. Yeah, there, and that's something you could do to counter that too. It doesn't want it to be, hey, congratulations, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and growing your empire. Of now here, you get hamstrung. Way to cancel an open borders or friendship agreement that's already in place, which currently the game does not support. So they would need to add that so that you actually can handle that situation. But you know, that's true. And as for the spy mission on an aqueduct or health thing in general, the closest you could get to that, and this is pretty general, would be to sabotage someone's production of, for example, constructing said aqueduct. So there's, a, there's nothing direct as of yet. All right, well, that's something to to add, potentially. Uh, actually, also, Mackie um, mentioned the, you know, the DLC expansion question mark um, speculation threads. A clue without in the thread, one of the threads uh, suggested he says, I suspect a DLC and or an expansion will fill in a lot of unit gaps. And I would certainly hope so, since that was one oh. of my complaints last time. Yeah, and of course... And I'd trebuchet, please. please. There was that. Trebuchet. Um, it would be nice, for example, to do what uh, Civilization V did and they introduced in the first expansion pack, Gods and King, the composite bowman in the classical era to sandwich in between the archer in the ancient era and the crossbowman in the medieval. Little things like that. You know, I, I get why that wasn't in the base game. I get that. You're focusing on other things, but now it would be a little nicer to to flesh things out in that respect. Or maybe even I, some things that... Uh, oh, go ahead, Jason. I, I was just going to say, did we really need like the supply convoy and the spec op units late in the game, like as opposed to getting things like a trebuchet or a you know maceman slash long swordsman medieval infantry unit or a composite bowman? Like, I mean, come on, like fill the fill the better gaps before you do you know stuff like you know upgrades to support units and make it meaningful. Like in Civilization Four in the Renaissance era, you had both the rifleman and the grenadier. And, oh my gosh, I got riflemen coming at me. What the heck am I supposed to do? What, I'm just going to throw my own riflemen at it? No, you could have the Grenadier because they had a plus 50% attack on riflemen, whereas you might be wanting to go riflemen because they gave you plus 25% versus mounted units. So in addition to filling in a lot of the unit gaps where we talk about there's something missing here, having a counter in the comparable era and making a choice about hmm, do I want to go this particular unit because it's going to give me this advantage? Oh, maybe I want to do that against this opponent because I've got a lot of mounted units, but oh gosh, I don't want it to be kind of also what you said, Fells, like, hey, let's go to riflemen and oh my gosh, let's just stomp over everything. Um, no, actually, they've got a lot of riflemen over here, so perhaps I should be focusing on Grenadier, which comes in the same era. Give us some more meaningful choices in these gaps. Yeah, riflemen aren't even in Civ Six, are they? It's uh, musketmen and infantry, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Yep, so there could be another fill in between the, the musketmen and the infantry, as we saw in previous games like Civ 4. I mean, even Civ 5 had an interesting choice in, in the Renaissance era, which was okay, so ah, I don't have iron, so so much for long swordsmen, and oh no, I don't have horse, oh no, so much for uh, knight. But you've got the musketmen, which has no unit target type in that particular case. And oddly enough, of course, in Civ Five, you didn't need a strategic resource for it. So it could substitute for, okay, 
I don't have iron yet, or I don't have horse yet, or I don't have enough. And I realized the resource system was different in Civ Five because it was much more quantifiable uh, than even in Civilization Six, of course. But still, just give us some more interesting choices so it's not someone can get to this particular point, and there's absolutely either nothing you can do or nothing meaningful you can do when it's, okay, I'm in the same era as you, but... Now I'm going to be getting raffle stomped. I want to be able to... I have to react to the type of unit that you have, so give me a chance to do something with that. And quite frankly, that could even be a you know an incentive. I don't know why you already need an incentive, but it can be an incentive to prioritize your particular technology research because I wouldn't want it to be, hey, you can get Rifleman and Grenadier at the same tech, right? I mean, an era is, is particularly expansive, and it could be a choice to either go to one or the other and they have the pros and the cons as opposed to, oh... It's Renaissance era. Let's get X unit because now that's going to dominate all. On the topic of uh, adding new units, uh, I'd also like to see like some medieval naval unit, like at least one. I don't care whether it's ranged or melee. I'd like to see something, and maybe also like another tech in between. What is it? Shipbuilding and uh, cartography, so that it's a little bit harder to beeline to cartography, so the AIs aren't sailing caravels to my shores in 600 bc the way they are now so yeah that would be nice i mean it's true that you do have to get the uh buttress technology in order to yeah it's uh, true i guess get to those caravels so it has it definitely has helped but it does still seem to be it, it slowed them it slowed them down and i guess some people could argue well good they're beelining because they they recognize that that's going to give them an advantage as compared to what else is on the map at that particular point in time yeah, except I don't know that it actually does because, you know, they're a naval-oriented civ, which means they're probably just going to get steamrolled by the first land-based army that uh, shows up on their border. But anyway, yeah. I would like a, more naval units. More early naval units would be nice. Something that can actually, like, I don't know, attack cities after the first 20 turns of the game and not die. And back to my point, because I feel like, uh, Dan, hang on, there is an interesting choice for Civ 6. Well, there can be. I realize there's the Pikin shot, which was introduced... I don't think that was in the base Civ 6, was it? Wasn't that introduced in one no. of the expansions? Pike and yeah. shot, I think, yeah. was Gathering Storm. It was Gathering Storm, yeah. okay. So they introduced Pike and shot and Gathering Storm, an upgrade from the Pikemen, and the Pike and shot gives you additional combat strength versus light, heavy, and ranged cavalry units, whereas the Musketmen, which is also available in the Renaissance, which is comparable, almost exact same cost, same movement, same strength, again, same era, gives you plus 10 combat strength versus anti-cavalry units. So there is definitely some staggering here. And so in some cases, it might not even be, we need another unit. We just need to look at this unit has a particular type. Maybe its base strength isn't going to be good against absolutely everything. And it probably should not be to make it a little more interesting, you know, but have it have a unit target type where it's, oh, sure, that is the strength, except when it goes after this particular unit, when it's actually greater than that particular strength. Also to the notion of combined arms. Because one thing I've definitely, I would say, I'm kind of rediscovered for myself in Civilization VI that I did not give enough attention to when Civ VI first came out because of what they did in Civilization V, which is in terms of mounted units, I was like, oh my gosh, I have absolutely no iron. I have no swordsman. What the heck am I supposed to do? Oh gosh, I guess I'm going to have to go and get uh, a pikeman, or I guess I'm going to have to wait till I can get knighted and I can get musketman. It's like, no, do you have horse? Uh, get yourself some horsemen. They move 
faster. They don't have that same penalty that we had in Civ Five for attacking cities. And the promotion tree can, of course, allow them to attack and move at the same time, or they can move and they can move to an adjacent hex, and hey, I'm going to be able to pillage this farm. I'm going to be able to pillage this farm on this turn, and then I'm going to be able to attack at the exact same time. And when you also take into account of, well, I, I do have swordsmen, but I kind of got to march them halfway across this landmass that's got a lot of space in between us, but there's nothing going on here. I mean, that's that's interesting, the fact there is that option. So in some cases, the unit gaps are in terms of the technology, and in some cases, it's in terms of what can I do in this particular point in time when I don't have this particular resource. And that has been fantastic. I've been able to do a lot more in some earlier games than I ever would have been able to do, great general or not great general for that matter, with, say, a swordsman. Yeah, Gathering Storm did a really good job with that, because Gathering Storm added the pike and shot, it added the courser, which filled in that huge gap between horsemen and cavalry, yes. and it also added the the ranger, which filled in that huge gap between scout and, or not the, uh, wait, not ranger, skirmisher, it added the skirmisher, which filled in that huge gap between scout and ranger, and actually made reconnaissance units useful again for, you know, that middle portion of the game, uh, you know, when barbarians have, you know, pikemen or better, and like your scouts would just get one hit killed if you accidentally ran into one. So Civ 6 has already demonstrated closing in of unit gaps. So I kind of mention all this to not be like, it's not that they haven't done it. It's just fill in some more of the unit gaps. There has been enough time now, and they've been able to demonstrate that they have thought about this and no doubt seeing how the game is being played within the community i mean shoot even now you mentioned the the courser there jason nothing like going to horseman it's like oh dan i guess you're gonna have to worry about nighter actually no actually I'm, no i'm good because it's only a couple of techs away if i beeline to coursers um at a particular point because coursers are at castles and i don't require any other resource other than the horse that i already have and with the social policy and the 50% discount, I just save up money. And now I've got really well promoted because they're well-experienced upgraded horsemen. So if we could just have a little bit more of that, which I kind of felt Civ Four did better at as a greater picture overall. I mean, they're both better than Civilization Five, um, other than, say, the Composite Bowman thing. But just to be a little more consistent with it, that would be... I guess it's not so much a change, it's just adding more of the same. So, Mackie, Phil, did either of you have any ideas for, uh, you know, possible DLC or expansions that uh, you would like to see? I've got two ideas myself, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first so I don't eat up the whole rest of our uh, time. I don't know where to start. I'll let Mackie go. Oh, God. No, don't make me go. <laughs> I said it first. Well, Pass uh, the buck, trademark. One, two, three, not it. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. You know, what... Not de well, not so much to add to an expansion. Can we fix culture system, please? The culture victory, so we have more of an idea of how the heck this is supposed to work. You know, it's uh, I still haven't won a culture victory yet because there's just so many things going on, and you think you're doing fine, and then some AI will just like shoot up over you, and it's not even an Eleanor problem. This is a problem for her. I remember when we were talking about the victory conditions, and it's like, okay, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the cultural one and being very basic about trying to explain it because there were so many things going on that it's generally one, yeah, one of the more difficult ones, and there's a lot of concepts kind of separate from everything else 
in the game to understand in order to try to achieve a cultural victory or, in some cases, defend against a mm-hmm. cultural victory. That, I think, I is think, the harder one, knowing what to yeah. do to counter someone else's cultural victory. Because Beyond just like, conquering not, them. Beyond just yeah. yeah, there's not a whole yeah. lot that you can do because, well, unfortunately, one of the problems with Civ Six is that the way that this new great people system works is that it makes the rich richer, right? Like once you yes. have, you know, those districts in place and you're generating a lot mm. of great people points, it is exceedingly difficult for the other players to catch up, and it's especially true with the uh, the cultural ones because that one theater district gives you three different great people points. And like all of the buildings do that. Like, I think it would be, and maybe this is an idea for, uh, to help, uh, uh, with Mackie's, uh, suggestion for possible DLC or expansion is maybe have mutually exclusive buildings in the, the theater district that give you great people points towards one of the cultural great people or the other. So the amphitheater maybe just gives you points for, uh, writers. writers, but then you would also have a different building that you can put down instead of the amphitheater that gives you points towards artists. So that way, like you can, not only are you specializing your city in culture, but you specialize your city in that one particular type of great person generation. That way the other civs can actually like build the other thing, right? And then get the other type of great people instead of, you know, Greece getting all of the writers, artists, and musicians, <laughs> and then everybody else has like one work of great writing for the entire game, and maybe they found a relic from a goodie hut. It, it would benefit those who are trying to go for a cultural victory, as well as you're saying to focus, but it's really about trying to be able to, okay, yeah, well, you've chosen that path to culture. I want to be able to choose this path to culture, so we don't have to try to go after the exact same thing where you force them to specialize. Yeah. Rather than being a generalist, and then you just start scooping it up and then it becomes, well, I guess all I can do is go after them militaristically, but in some cases and the timing, that's not practical. Yeah. You could also do something like you could have, we've already got the archeological museum, which is good for relics and other things. But if you had a regular museum, there's where you could get the, the artist. <laughs> An amphitheater could go either way between writers and musicians because both things, I don't know. <laughs> I know what you meant, but I just like the apparent inference that an agricultural museum is an irregular building. An irregular. Thank, thank you for that, Mackie. I want that. A plain vanilla museum. Ah, and the archaeological museum is like chocolate. Okay, well, yeah, or um, strawberry or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah right now, there's the, the, the archaeological and the art museum are the two. Things oh, Neapolitan. The right there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so you can specialize in w- what type of culture. So you can do that because. I mean, it's like Phil said, you can just go conquer them. But the idea of the cultural victory is it's supposed, I mean, at least to me, is it's a peaceful victory, even a cooperative victory. There's another thing. Can we have co-op victories back? Thanks. Actually, I was about to make that my DLC suggestion is a revamp of all the victory conditions in the game to be something sensible to the incentives in the game and having uh, alliances and joint victories available. I've said many times in the past, I'm all for bringing back some kind of shared or cooperative victory. Yeah. Like, so I, I think that a DLC could do that justice and it would like be fixing victory conditions and statistics would be enough of an overhaul that you could merit uh, making a DLC out of and that. One of, one of the nice things about Civ six is when you set up the game, they have that little, you know, drop down list that lets you choose which rule set you're using. So if players end up not liking the new victory conditions, like, hypothetically, they could always just switch back to the Gathering Storm rule set and use the old victory conditions if that's what they're familiar with and comfortable with. That's true. Although, uh, given how opaque the uh, tourism pressure versus culture can be, uh, <laughs> I wonder how 
often that'll happen, but that's true. Yeah. I'll take this opportunity to once again, re-recommend potato McWhiskey's uh, YouTube video about tourism and culture victory. Uh, we recommended that a few episodes ago when we talked about victory conditions. So yeah, uh, maybe sure. look up that I just think something like that should be available in game. Like, so you don't have to go to yes. too good, but still third party sources just to learn how a basic mechanic works. I mean, there's one of the victory conditions for the game. It should really be obvious what you need to do to attain it and block it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being obvious to obtain it and also tying into your citing the user interface uh, there, Phil, when it comes to defending against a cultural victory, one of the things to know is to how is everyone else doing? And in a number of cooperative games, I've noticed this more in the cooperative games, that someone will be looking at the victory condition, and I'll be like, hey guys, you know, Monty's going to win a cultural victory in 20 turns. I'm like, what? So yeah, I go and, and I look, and, and then it's like, but then the turn rolls over and it's gone. Like, there's, yeah, there's no consistent... But what's there's going no on there? Yeah, the game has notifications for when like capitals get captured, but I don't I don't ever remember seeing notifications for when like other civs become culturally dominant over other civs like or a notification that like another civ has built its first spaceport. Like stuff like that would be helpful to like you know give the player a better idea of where the other players are in terms of achieving a victory without you having to every few turns remember to open up the uh the status window and actually look at it yourself. And for the notifications to be accurate. Like suddenly, with the yes. culture one specifically on the screen, it says you're going to win in 24 turns, huh? And then it goes away. And then it's gone and it's gone. And other times it's, okay, apparently they're going to win in 30 turns. And eventually I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to pay attention to that. Because there's a disconnect there. And to a lesser extent, also to the notification about, you know, someone building their first spaceport, a game will tell you for the game will tell you in the notifications, hey, guess what? So and so's religion is now dominant. Or I should say more accurately, this religion is now dominant within this civilization's particular territory. But it's also one of those things where, okay, um who's who's uh which religion is dominant and which person's territory again? Oh, I'll just check the victory screen and I'll have a look at what's going on with the religious victory. Actually, no, you need to go through the log of all the other notifications and also have a search feature there that would be great. Um to be able to find that notification to find out again what that is. So when you're trying to defend and I find the culture of victory is extreme for that. I don't think it's purposeful. I don't think 2K Frax has put that in there to purposely, you know, punk us, but it's, I should be able to pay attention to notifications, and I should want to know that information, and I should be paying attention to that, but knowing when it says that, it also kind of maybe subconsciously makes me start to ignore similar messages in the game, because I'm thinking, yeah, right. So either we're going to have the notifications, or we're not going to have the notifications, and I vote for having notifications, but please have them be correct and accurate and consistent. Reliably accurate UI is also very important. This is a much bigger problem in the Paradox games, but yeah, the Fraxis has had some issues with it as well, and this is an example. Phil it's is a, eagerly yeah. awaiting the uh, UI expansion pack. <laughs> uh, I mean, no. I wouldn't suggest that as a DLC, because that stuff really should be right in vanilla on release. It, I mean, if it, isn't, it should be up there among the patch priorities, but it hasn't been for a decade plus like i know that that's not a realistic expectation even though it should be it is not and so i just have to live with that but i mean <laughs> <laughs> i was actually about the joke no 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 jason that's the ui upgrade isn't going to be an expansion pack that's going to be in the dlc let's not be ridiculous but i, I think too- 
<laughs> I do think 2K and Firaxis have demonstrated that even though we're on to this particular expansion pack, when it comes to a patch, hey, we found an issue that affects people in vanilla too, or in some cases, this is a, you know, this is like a vanilla issue and it's a rise and fall issue. So we're going to fix that and you can get that patch whether or not you have purchased any of the expansion packs or any of the DLC. It would just apply specifically to your game makeup in terms of things that you've got on there. So having something like that for the user interface, it would be, hey, guess what? We're releasing this DLC or this expansion. Also, at the same time, we're going to be pushing out a patch that applies to everyone. And we saw that in not just Civilization VI, but also Civilization V too. So there's definitely a precedent for that. Did and we just need more of that. Did Fraxis do that with the with Civ Six? Like, if you have, if you're just playing vanilla, like, do you have access to things like the city build queue and stuff like that that was added in Gathering Storm, or do you actually have to own and be playing the Gathering Storm rule set to have those features? That one off the top of my head, I, I'm very certain it's one of those you're not getting access to it if it was introduced in an expansion pack. But it's kind of if this is impacting people in the expansion pack, but it's also imp- uh, impacting people in the base game, it's not just you have to have the expansion pack in order for it to be fixed. It will be fixed in the base game, too. Yeah, I don't I don't recall because it's been a while since I've played without the stuff, but only yeah. post patch. Right. So and Mackie can, wants an improvement yeah. to the culture victory. Any any other ideas, Mackie? I'm trying to think if there's anything that was deletable. I don't know if there's anything that's <laughs> deleted was on the list, but. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Delete the score. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dan's favorite metric there, yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just start over. <laughs> yeah, I would assume if anything were to get deleted, it would not be de- removed, it would be replaced. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a DLC or expansion removing content or functionality without putting something in that effectively replaces it. Um, remove score and give us better notifications on all victory conditions. I, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It's just kind of one of those things where maybe for now, while the score thing is not working, maybe we just not deal with that. Well, or at like least the Phil's earlier point did be okay. Well, we're adding, we're completely revamping victories, and no score victory is going to be included in these revamped victories because all of the new victories are good enough and robust enough that we don't need a score victory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even with the issues with the other victory conditions, I'm still kind of like, uh, score victory. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm, I know, I know why it's there. It's supposed to be kind of this catch-all, but catch-all default I, like time. But at the same time, it's like, eh. it's it's more about the the meaning of score in the game. Although I, you know, this is hardly a Civ Six issue, but um, maybe Civ Six can finally be the one that does something about it. Yeah, yeah. Before, I almost feel like era score would actually be a better metric than the actual score score. Well, that's just cases. because the actual score is so bad. It, it's so non-representative of relative strength and potential that. Yeah, I'd rather see an era score it. victory compared to the score victory. It's it's other things that you can. <laughs> but get you in could terms of the... you, you could build era score into a proper score and yeah, like have the score points, be basically. meaningful. You could do that in principle. Yeah, the era score would actually become essentially victory points. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're looking at military strength. Ah, crap, that person is 650, I'm only 350. Setting aside for the moment, but Dan, you're probably playing against an AI, right? Okay, we're setting aside the concerns about the AI, just in terms of the absolute number. Okay, they they might, but what type of units do they have, and where are they? 
And I know the where are they is a more complicated thing, but it's just kind of like you don't have to get hung up on, oh, well, they're probably going to win because they've got the greater score in terms of uh, military strength. Or even better, when you're looking at the victory condition and it says, hey, this person's in the science lead. Uh, well, okay, they have researched 33 technologies. You've only researched 30, but you've got like 25 more beakers a turn than they do. You know, though these kind of things kind of get to, because then that all gets lumped into score, your tech. Yeah, but it's only giving, it's jumping to conclusions that more is always better, and that's not true. Yeah. Well, Dan or uh, Phil, do either of you have ideas for other potential DLC or expansion content that you would like to see? Um, and it, actually, it came up in one of the, the DLC XP uh, speculation threads, or I kind of had it in the back of my mind, and then when I saw it in this thread, I went, oh yeah. Errol and King said, can we get other leaders for each existing Civ? I, you know, I don't necessarily know about each existing Civ. Yeah, but However, the system was set there in place. It's like they have a plan to go somewhere with it, and they've done nothing much with it except for England and Greece. I think there's four civilizations now that have multiple leaders, right? There's Greece, yeah. India, England, oh, India for, India. and France, because one of the leaders uh, is for oh, it's technically know, both uh, yeah. France. So I, I, I don't, I can't think of a fifth. I think those are the only four. So no, but there there absolutely has to be other civs that could have multiple leaders, and we've had that before. And where are they? Yeah, I always thought that was one of the biggest like missed potentials of the vanilla release was the fact that there was only one civilization that had an alternate leader. Uh, and then like even with DLC, like things like Alexander of like Macedon, like I mean, like I they could have made him an alternate leader for Greece. Like I'm not complaining that Macedon is in the game, but if you're gonna go that route of having different leaders, like you know, lump some of these known leaders in with, you know, the same civilization so that we can have other new civilizations with their own leaders that we haven't seen before. You know, like, yeah, I, we could bring back the Burger King of HRE. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, uh, there's no have the Holy Empire that's about as diplomatic as you're going to get there. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's there's no need to have the Holy Roman Empire be its own civilization. <laughs> you can have a Holy Roman Empire leader be like the leader of Germany or France or, you know, a Prussian Civ or something like that, which, you know, is what they did with uh, uh, what's his name? Frederick in, in Civ 6, who's not even a German leader. He's a the Holy Roman Emperor. But uh, yeah, yeah, I would I mean, definitely we have. Well, I we just, have moved I, on I from the Native like American them. civilization of Civ 4. I, <laughs> that, I, was, that, that was amazing. That sitting was both the Native American Empire. <laughs> <sighs> from a yeah, company that, that, in the United that. States of America. Hmm. Who should be able to research better than that? Thanks. Uh, yeah, please, please don't do. Please don't do that. I mean, Sitting Bull was so egregious that you have to imagine that they they knew that wasn't right. They just put it in there so they could have some representation. <laughs> but that, yeah, that reminds was, me uh, of this. Sometimes less is more. <laughs> but yeah, I I agree. I I would definitely like to see like maybe like a pack of like five or six alternate leaders for like ten bucks, like as opposed to like a new civilization you know, pack. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a leader pack. I think that would be cool with just alternate yeah. leaders for existing civs. And that would Even that if, would give, yeah. you know, new life to some of to a lot of the existing civs that, you know, maybe feel like they're like underpowered or, or lower on the tier list. You know, give them an alternate leader that maybe makes them better. Or they give them different flavor. Yeah, and I would prioritize those civs that which of course is most of them that just have one leader that we first saw in vanilla. Because now we're two expansion packs in. Give them an alternate leader that plays into 
some of the new and revised mechanics in the game, rather than introducing a completely new civilization that does that instead. Yeah, as of vanilla, like my top three like hopes for alternate leaders were number one was I wanted an alternate leader for India that was actually like militaristic instead of the peacemonger Gandhi who's been in every game ever. Like I wanted to see a version of India that had a different flavor than Gandhi's peacemonger religious India. And we got that in the first expansion, so hooray. My second one would have been uh I was thinking probably like King Richard or someone like that, the Lionheart, like a medieval English leader to represent like medieval England with like a longbow unique unit or something like that. And we kind of got that with Eleanor. Like she's a little bit more uh, medieval, but you know, no longbow or anything like that. And then my third would have been some representation of the modern nation state of Germany, whether that's, you know, Bismarck again or Kaiser Wilhelm. Uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, Firaxis is probably not going to use living people, but you know, Angela Merkel, you know, uh, I doubt that would happen. You know, there's probably a lot of legal issues with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I would like to see a modern German leader as opposed to, you know, this, uh, I think Frederick was Prussian, right? And, you know, Holy Roman Emperor. So. Yes. Okay. Let's cover the basis. No listeners. Jason is not suggesting he wants a current living past leader to be deceased so they can be included in the game. Well, yeah, I, I, I was not saying that <laughs> either. Um, we have I'm to have very specific denials. Yeah, and I mean... So, you know, uh, Richard there, Nixon for US? There's other options for a modern German leader that, you know, are much less politically correct uh, than that, but, uh, you know, that probably would not <laughs> also be Also speaking of problems. But then again, I mean, Sif4 did have Stalin in it, so... Yeah, and yeah. Mal. Yeah. yeah. Those so, are really rough. We almost got the trifecta of bad. But Sephora yeah. also had the Native American empire, so, you know, they... they well, that was egregious for a different reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, but I'm, I'm saying they... And they, I do like what they did with Sitting Bull's personality in Sephora. He was probably the biggest troll. <laughs> out of all high the, praise coming know. from Phil. Yeah, that is high praise. It's like they were more <laughs> threatening leaderheads by far. Uh, Sitting Bull is almost never going to win the game, and he would rarely declare on you. So, like, but man, he would poison the hell out of you all the time, and he was very difficult to attack. <laughs> very obnoxious. Yep. Definitely the troll. So, Dan, what, sorry, I, I kind of co opted your idea. What the, you said you wanted to see more leaders. Did you have any ideas for specific leaders or civs that you would like to see alternate leaders? Uh, not, um, just I have a focus on, again, on the older civilizations that people, it's like, okay, well, like, like Rome, for example. Um, it was a base civ. Maybe the next leader or an alternate leader for him could tie into, um, I don't know, the Eriscore system somehow. You know, not saying that specifically, but just a reflection of we already have these civilizations, and you can question whether or not it should be a different civ or not, but since it's already in the game, give them some depth to make people revisit, or maybe in the first time, visit these civilizations that they haven't looked at before, and I think if you mix that in with some new civilizations as well, I'm not saying do this instead of new civs, oh, yeah. it's just let's have it do it in tandem, and let's actually have the priority be, okay, where might be a good fit, whether it's a good tie in to you know, the like a unique unit, for example, because you could have a leader and it has the same unique unit, but 
that leader has a different particular trait now. You know, we're going to tie that unique unit to that civilization. And that choice, there, there's no choice there, but there's going to be a choice here. And look at what you've yeah. done with an expansion or a DLC and see how that fits. And then, okay, well, we're not really getting a lot of good overlap here. Maybe this is an opportunity to introduce this civilization, and this civilization's focus can be even more tailored to that specifically. I think that would be a nice way to balance the... I thought you guys were doing something with alternate leaders versus, hey, we want even more civs. Because sometimes, right. uh, you know, we're going to make the meaningful choices. But I think in some cases, more fleshed out civs are better than just more civs full stop, going to a and, quality versus a quantity thing. And specifically, you know, alternate leaders that give a different flavor to the existing civ, right? Like if they added an alternate leader for India and it was just another religious peacemonger leader, like I'd be like, oh, come on, really? Uh, like a good a good example would yeah. maybe be like the Aztecs, you know, like every version of Civ ever, the Aztec leader has been Montezuma, and he's always been a forward settling warmongering jerk. So maybe give us like another Aztec leader or like an Olmec leader, you know, pre Aztec that's based around like the idea of the Triple Alliance, where you know he's got something like what the Poundmaker has, where he likes to build you know peaceful relationships and alliances, and or maybe annexes city states or something like that, you know some kind of peacemongering diplomatic leader for the Aztecs. So when you see the Aztecs in the game, you don't just automatically know, well, oh, they're just going to come, you know, uh, sw uh, swarm me. And I know, I know maybe because I would do this, but, you know, talking about the power of the troll, I could see someone say, Dan, why would we spend any time doing alternate leaders? Just have random leaders be an option in the game like we had in Civ 4. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think Paraxis's idea was... was <laughs> that would be amazing, too, but man, that would be tough to implement with Civ 6's... It, uh, it would, yeah. Yep. Would yeah. you bring over, like, the Rough Rider if uh, Teddy Roosevelt was with, say, the Zulu? You have the Rough it's, Rider Zulus? It's part of his ability. I, I think you would have to. Yeah, That's well, okay. I mean, I'd be fine with that. It would... And I guess, yeah, I mean, if you're going to have something as ridiculous as that in the first place, then <laughs> you might as well go all the way. That's true. So I want to acknowledge it of saying that no, I don't think that would be an appropriate approach to address this in Civilization VI. It had its place in Civ IV. Lot, lots of lulls, to be sure. But I think we can move on from that. Yeah, all the abilities in Civ IV were just like, you know, the same six abilities just interchanged and combined. So, yeah, that was easy. Although to do with that. unrestricted, you had some pretty broken interactions. Yeah, some of them were better, way better than others. Right, especially when you were not on the receiving end of them. I, I did a, a pretty uh, protective leader of Mali once. That was just stupid. <laughs> yeah, there were so many broken stupid. combinations that she just said stop and say, okay, no, you can't be that one because it's ridiculous. I, I just skirmisher rushed people. And you if you have a barracks, you can immediately uh, take promotions, counter promotions. So like your, one of your very early units could just kill Axemen straight up. And what kills them? Well, nope, get pillaged. <laughs> that was great. Great balance. Great so experience. Oh, man. Speak oh. <laughs> Speaking of old man quick earlier, Phil said straight up and my brain went, thanks, Paula. <laughs> oh, jeepers. Thanks. <laughs> so, Phil, did you come up with any uh, any ideas for things you'd like to see? Added I already gave my one with the revamped victory condition. Oh, that's okay. I guess you did. All right, well... Jason says right, that, that doesn't count. Come up with something better, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do better. Dang it. Please just uh, do good. better. So I, I have two things, uh, and actually one of them is going to tie in to, to Dan, what you talked about with an alternate Roman leader. So tying back into... Oh, man, we where, have two Roma boos here. 
Yeah, so so tying back into to two things from earlier, which one was Dan wanting an alternate Roman leader, and me earlier saying that I would like to see more leaders lumped into existing civilizations, so we don't have to add new civilizations that we've seen before and can instead do other you know civilizations. Uh, uh, I have an idea for a new civ and a couple new leaders. So Byzantium, I've said before that <laughs> I'm an advocate of a Byzantium leader being an alternate for Rome. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of pushback from that. So I've come up with a compromise position. So here's the compromise position. Uh, it's have, not the Holy Byzantium Empire, is it? No, it's not. So have okay, right. Byzantium be a civilization with a leader. And specifically, I think it would be funny to have both Justinian and Theodora be the leader at the same time. Like both of them are on the leader screen <laughs> and you have like you have like whenever you t interact with Justinian he's like sitting in his throne and like Theodora's kind of like you know skulking behind him and like whenever you propose something to him like she whispers in his ear and then Justinian's like oh yeah okay we'll do that like you know kind of like tongue in cheek like joking that you know she's the one who's actually wearing the pants of this empire <laughs> and you know Justinian's just kind of like there as the figurehead I think that would be a funny little you know gag to uh to, to do um so yes, yeah, so I have Byzantium with Justinian and or Theodora, and it's got its, you know, Dromon and or Cataphract, you know, unique unit or whatever, uh, as a standalone civilization. But then, as an alternate uh, leader to Rome, have uh, Constantine. And Constantine's ability is, uh, and hear me out, because this is going to be crazy, so we have civs, or we have leaders now that can belong to different civs, right? Like we've got Eleanor that can be either english or french so constantine yes. is, a, is a leader who can be either roman or byzantium but you can only choose him as a roman leader because his ability is the first time rome or whenever rome enters a dark age you have the option to relocate your capital and doing so immediately changes rome into the byzantium empire and puts you into a heroic age so you have a leader who actually changes civilizations mid-game and then changes all of their abilities and powers and uniques and stuff like that. So anything that you had built as Rome, you keep. But now you get, you know, so if you have legions running around, you keep your legions. And then you get all the Byzantium stuff uh, after you uh, do the Dark Age thing. Hmm. I'm not necessarily sold on the trigger uh, in that particular case, but the idea that, you know, that the evolution over time that, okay, this civilization has now morphed into this civilization, or even more generally, it could be... <laughs> and I'm using this purely as a troll comparison back to Rome. You could transition from, say, Caesar in Rome to Nero <laughs> in Rome uh, at some point in the game because of some, some trigger that is going to give you something that you are not getting from Caesar based on something that is happening in the game and you're trying to react to it. So it's kind of an, an in-between of what you're suggesting. All right, guys, Mongolia becomes Russia. Or are you on when? <laughs> There's no question that, that such, a, such a change could not be accomplished in a vacuum. And if you try to accomplish it in a vacuum, then, well, bad things will happen. But that, that's my compromise. So or even better, the Middle East. You can have like a, a multi-civ transition in the Middle East. <laughs> like Persia becomes Iran or something like that. Well, I, I'm just thinking like we have Arabia, we have Egypt, we have Ottomans and you know, all this stuff. Like they had a lot of overlapping territory. Yeah. 
Yeah, so- as long as it was something that as as the civilization looking to to change over that you want to change the leader as long as it wasn't imposed upon you or that it was automatically set that it was going to happen just because it quote unquote happened in history then i think there's something yeah. there to look which at which is why i said with my idea with the uh, constantine is when you enter the dark age you would have the option to relocate your capital and you know trigger the heroic age and uh change your civilization mid game and then the you next have- time you have a dark age, you can become the Ottoman Empire. Tra-la-la-la-la-la. Yeah, I mean, that's a little different <laughs> circumstance, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and then there's the question, right? So you, you've you changed the leader, so it's it's an option that you can do just once? Yeah, that would be my idea, is it would just happen once. So it's like a, you know, like a board game. It's a once-per-game power. Then that would definitely, I would say, arguably necessitate having at least one alternate or having an alternate leader for every civilization in the game. Is that what you're kind of getting at? That that oh, every I was civilization talking about the chance. I, I was talking about specifically to as an ability that that would be Constantine's oh. leader ability. Is you would oh, get to at a dark age, you can trigger heroic age and then change to Byzantium by relocating your capital. Would that be an instant transition, or would that happen? No, I'd say it's, that'd it's, be like it, a project it, over the duration of the era. No, it, it basically the idea is it's it, it cancels the dark age, right, and then triggers ah. a heroic age. So it it that would be the you know one of the uses for it is to potentially cancel. You would deliberately trigger a dark age. Like mm. a, a lot of a lot of Rome's and Trajan's abilities are about like the early empire building, settling new cities. So the idea is you've got your your you know empire established you've got your core cities you've got the infrastructure you've got the roads so you're not really using trajan's ability that much anymore so now you deliberately trigger a dark age right and, or no sorry not uh, trajan but the you know rome so uh you deliberately trigger the dark age uh as constantine so then you get to start using byzantium's power which might be like some religious power economic power i don't know you know whatever uh, but something that might be more beneficial to you because you're not settling new cities anymore you've already got your roads built the infrastructure's there so that would be the benefit. But that's my my crazy idea for a, a leader slash civilization pack. So forums have at <laughs> well, me. Well, and I also thought of I can just hear, you know, AI programmers throwing up a little bit in their mouth. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I have no expectation that something like that would actually happen. But it's kind of just like, you know, like Fraxis has been doing these things where like they've got the alternate leaders. Now they've got leaders that are for two different civs i'm like well where do you go from there well how about changing leaders or civs mid-game you know that's the, the next logical step by and i guess all in right. the absence of all of this stuff we just turn to the modding community time yeah. to add noogles in too then finally but then uh the second idea that i had for like an actual expansion pack and this is something that i've been wanting since i think civ 4 i've been wanting something like this or at least since civ 5 because it borrows a lot of ideas from uh the colonization, uh, you know, like offshoot game, which is to have an expansion that is focused a little bit more on the, uh, specifically on the like colonial period. Uh, and this would be something to maybe like spice up the mid and late game a little bit where you have more incentives to actually go out and explore like other continents and settle on them or conquer on them, uh, where there would actually be a resource market exchange where instead of the value of a resource being determined by whether or not the other AI like actually likes you and wants to give you money, the value of resources would actually be determined by their scarcity on the world market. So if you have monopolized like all the, sp- all the spice in the game, 
you are basically able to set the price of spice on the world mar market because if anybody else wants spice, they have to get it from you. So you set the price. Whereas if something's distributed across the map and everyone has it, it's really cheap to buy and sell because you can get it from pretty much anywhere. And then on top of that, maybe having like a system where the luxury resources are like slightly different based on either the continent that they come from or the civilization that produces it. So Egyptian silk, for instance, might be different than Chinese silk. So if you're playing as Egypt and you already have access to silk, maybe there's still value for you to buy Chinese silk because it's it's still considered an exotic you know, luxury, even though you already have access to your own type of silk because it's still different. And then, you know, other civs could buy silk from both civilizations and would get a stacking benefit from them. And they could be sold at the market for, you know, different prices and uh, and stuff like that. And then maybe also having like industrial hubs and commercial zones actually be able as like a project to produce some kind of manufactured uh luxury resource that might be civilization specific or might be based on uh the resources that you have available kind of similar to um the corporations in civ 4 where like you had like the sushi company or whatever and if you had like fish and crabs or whatever you could turn them into sushi and sell them as uh resources i think that was the way it works uh, phil can maybe correct me if i'm wrong uh but so, yeah um, okay so on, on the last one with the specific manufacturing of a luxury, you kind of want to take it away from the, okay, congratulations, you got the great merchant that gives you toys and cosmetics that anybody could potentially use their commercial and their industrial zones, you know, get to well, industrialization, etc., and then being able to manufacture that and then to tie into the notion of prices for things being set by scarcity and then in terms supply and demand, that if you're the only person producing cosmetics and everyone else is producing toys then you're going to be able to fetch a higher price for your cosmetics. And the people who are manufacturing toys are just going to have to try to push sheer volume in order to be able to make a comparable amount. Something like that. Yeah. And you can still keep like great people that have their unique stuff and maybe just have other things, uh, you know, that the, your cities can produce as, uh, as manufactured goods. But yeah, just, uh, I've always been annoyed by the fact that like resources are the value of the resource is just, basically a measure of whether or not the AI civ likes you or not. And it doesn't matter, you know, how much of it you have or how rare it is, or even whether or not they have it. If they don't like you, they're not going to uh, offer you money for it. I, I did like how civ five had the, the individual cities would request luxuries and the city states would have quests for you to connect luxuries. And I really wish that was in civ six, because that would help a lot. It would give players and AIs a reason to actually want to buy uh, luxuries from other civs, you know, possibly even at a premium if it's going to, you know, give you the We Love the King Day or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I would just like to have the value of the resources like be determined by something other than whether or not the AIs like you and want to trade with you. If I, it should be a valid strategy for me to monopolize a source of a resource and then sell it around the world because in reality, that's what a lot of civilizations did. I mean, you look like, you look at like uh, the Netherlands with tulips and, uh, you know, the Americas with the American colonies with tobacco and I think to a certain extent cotton and yeah, India with find, tea. Yeah, I always find actually a weird duality. You're talking about the what people are willing to pay or how much they're willing to pay for something or even sell something dependent upon the relationship status. I would like to see it being more reflective of this, the scarcity too. 
Um, not completely at the expense of the relationships, because diplomacy already has enough issues. But if we had something like you're talking about, Jason, and then address what I'm seeing in kind of this, again, the, the duality about the valuing the relationships too much, or in some cases, not at all. Uh, this AI really, really hates me. You know, it would be in their best interests to get this uh, extra, and I'll use the example, just dies in general, because I'm the only one that has it. But they hate me so much, and they're not willing to pay any price, or in some cases, yeah, I'll give you one gold. Well, I'm not incentivized to sell it to you to one gold, even though that would be advantageous to your empire, because then you would have it and I would have it are the only two sources in the world. But then the reverse of that is, fine, fine, uh, okay, I see you have whales. I don't have whales. Our relationship is really bad, and I'm expecting this exorbitant demand. And it's like, uh, can you give me just like a couple gold a turn? And then other things that you could do with that as well would be like, say, for example, you do have a rivalry with another civilization that has the same luxury as you, you know, say Dan and I, you know, both have dyes uh, and we're, you know, hostile towards each other. One of us or the other could start selling our dyes at a lower price in order to try to trigger a price war that might, you know, damage or cripple the other's economy. So things like you also have strategic things like that that would then come into play, which you can do to some extent, like you, you can undersell luxuries in Civ five and Civ six in order to prevent the other civs from being able to sell theirs, but it's you know it's not a very robust system. And in some cases, although it's rare, you have so many copies of a particular resource, and it's like, well, I'm not going to get much for it, but you know, I guess something's better than nothing because I can make better use of that gold, and then I'll just use that gold to funnel my war machine to go against you. The fact that this the opponent is a little happier. Kind of, yeah. so what? To make it a little bit more meaningful and deal with, like, extra copies of resources. Hmm. And to also call back to Phil's earlier points about the UI being bad, one of the things that you could do with a mechanic like this is you could actually have a UI for a, a resource market where you can basically say you can put a resource on the market and then the other civs come to you to buy it, as opposed to you having to open every single leader screen to find out what that leader is willing to give you for that oh, luxury. Yes. You just have one place, you put it on the market, and you see what everybody's offers for it are. Like, maybe it takes a turn, right? Maybe you have to put it on the market and then hit end turn, and then all the other players on their turn, like, bid on what they'd offer for it, and then you can, you know, choose which one on the following turn that you actually want to, to go forward with. But, yeah, it would spare you all those extra clicks of having to go through every single friggin' leader and find out what they're willing to offer. It wouldn't hurt to have a uh, a screen that shows you what resources each leader has available. And to my knowledge, right. that also used to exist. Well, and, and again, you know, if you had an actual like market exchange feature, like all that stuff, you know, I would say should be on that screen. There should be a screen that shows what all the leaders have, what they're willing to sell, what the prices are and all your yeah, stuff and how much, sure. you know, and what and also what they're willing to give you. Oh, my gosh. I speaking of also extra clicks in the user interface. And something like, okay, I've got this luxury. I'm, I'm going to sell it to you. What will you give me for it? And mm. I understand, okay, it's not necessarily, you're not, you don't necessarily want the AI to say, in their mind, I will not pay more than 100. And they offer you exactly 100. It's like, okay, but Tell I, me. I, 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 I play the micro game. I totally keep going up. Will they still say yes? Okay. Yep. Will they still say yes to one? I they do still that all say the time yes. too. And I think one of the things that you could do to try to combat that is it's kind of a, a less severe version of in Civilization 2. If you keep contacting me, I'm just going to declare on you because you're very annoying and taking up a lot yeah. of my time. It's just 
Okay, I told you. I the, told you what the UI my price would have was. to be better in order to com- accommodate that, though, because right now we're doing yes. that because of limitations oh. to the UI uh, yes. and also the AI. So if, if the UI and the AI don't improve, then that feature would just make things worse because yeah. you end up spiraling into into cycles of everyone hating you because you were trying to bargain for the best price. Yes, the UI would have to give you a sense, and you could tie it into the espionage too. It's like, okay, you really want to trade with this person and potentially get the best value, then get a little intel on what you think they're going to be able to. You know, it doesn't have to be an exact amount, but it's kind of a ballpark figure. And if you try to haggle too much, then okay, you're done. Because I will admit, in the cooperative games, it's like Dan hasn't ended his turn yet. What's going on? Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to sell this this resource to this AI, and I'm trying to get the best deal possible because. I, in I my mind, I, I will take the extra 10 clicks to take the extra 10 gold, even though it's probably like, Dan, you're really not that any farther ahead and everyone else is waiting for you, and I get that, but it's just like if the, they would just give me, you know, if it was only going to be 5 or gold difference, but sometimes sure. it's like, I, I offer you 100, but then I could ultimately get it for like 225. If we're, we're, you do gold we actually per have turn, a good yeah. relationship. Why didn't you offer me something better than this bottom? So I gotta find out what it is, and there's nothing that's giving me any sense other than click, click. Yeah, and I definitely do that a lot more in the earlier parts of the game because in the earlier parts of the game, every one of those, you know, gold is that much more valuable. I, I think uh, it would be okay to just have them make the offer they're willing to give personally and keep yeah, it well, simple but, for now. But even even then, there's still things where what they're offering isn't like exactly what you want, so you're still tweaking it a little bit, and then you know that screws up the yeah. value some. Like, you know, they're willing to offer you so much gold per turn and an open borders, but it's like, no, I want a resource. Like, sell me a resource. Well, you're you're never going to have something that's going to predict exactly what you want. So in True. situations like that, you'll have to tweak it. But having them do something at their max value willing to give away would definitely expect the process. And it wouldn't really change the gameplay at all right now, yeah. other than for the better by reducing clicks. I, I don't know about like a more nuanced model where you get penalized for haggling too much. I, I don't know that the game needs that, really. Um, but other things that having like a resource market would do, you know, uh, to the game more broadly is my hope would be that by scattering more like unique and distinct luxuries around the map, it would, you know, incentivize more of that like mid and late game scramble to colonize those parts of the map in order to get those resources so that you can sell them at premiums so that, you know, you don't so that, so we have less games where you have your six cities at the end of the medieval era and then the whole rest of the game is just clicking, you know, end turn until you get a victory screen uh, and then just stopping, you know, because something comes up like, you know, having more reason for the players to be continually going out and expanding uh in the later parts of the game, you know, I, I think would be something that would dramatically improve uh, the civilization game, considering how long the games take to play. Yeah, although shortening the distance between when you have those cities set up and you winning would also be very helpful. Yeah, if, then if you, you wouldn't can't... have that, that slog where you know you're going to win, but you just have yeah, to end yeah. the turn 50, exactly. 50 more times. If you can't end the game sooner, then, you know, we need more and better things to do in the middle and late game to make that slog to the uh, victory screen less of a slog. And also tying back into previous conversations on previous episodes, which is rather than hitting end turn, how about the victory condition just be triggered already? <laughs> Why do we have to wait here if this is all well, that- In principle, if, the, if your opponents were trying, they could attempt to interrupt your actual victory, but the game doesn't have AI that try to do that, uh, but human players would probably try to do that in multiplayer. 
and as for my haggling point at a certain point, it, it, it cuts you out. I can I can see how that's perhaps I'm trying to maybe treat the uh, a symptom rather than the source. I think if it's if it's going to give you your maximum, then I just wouldn't want it to be. Oh, every civilization is going to give you. They're rather the same value. Everyone is going to say it's 100 gold, that that's their same, unless it's really early on in the game and you have no other kind of modifiers. I would think the maximum, whatever that amount is, should be at least somewhat reflective of your diplomacy to that point. Um, setting aside some of the diplomacy things that we've got in right now, like screw you, you know, I just plain don't like you um, stuff. But then so I you think you certainly have a multiplier on there for like whether they like you or not, whether or not you have an alliance, whether or not. You're trying to end a war, etc. There's a lot of basic the, things you could do to modify the value that could still be consistent, uh, but not be frustrating and still go with max value. And then if you're still thinking, no, you're only going to offer me 100, I want 150, then you need to be prepared to put something else in addition to on the table in order to say, okay, well, I'll give you 150 if you're also going to give me open borders, but I've already told you what my best deal is based on our current relationship. Take it or leave it. Or Yeah. Yeah, and it would also for yourself. Yeah. It would also be nice if you could like issue ultimatums, like, "Hey, if you're not going to buy this from me, I'm going to sell it to your arch nemesis." So, you oh, know, I don't, that. Really I don't into... think the AI could handle that. Oh dear, yeah, that'd be great. Like, in... Look, maybe <laughs> a that'd be great neural network about... AI. Even that would probably struggle with that kind of concept. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, part of my brain went, hey, that would be great in multiplayer, but a lot of multiplayer is competitive, and what the hell are you doing in training Well, in anyway? multiplayer, you can just do that over <laughs> chat, so, like, you don't need a system for that in multiplayer. Not necessarily, anyway. Well, yeah, but the AI should be honoring the incentives of the game, and that means that you would want to look at how human players approach this. Good human players, of course. Uh, people who are winning consistently in uh, player-versus-player matches. Yeah. When we find and there is some you know. incentive to trade, even in <laughs> even in competitive multiplayer, where you have only one winner, you still trade. Like you see this all the time in Dominion's uh, multiplayer games, because if you are doing something that is mutually beneficial to you and the person you are trading with, that puts the two of you ahead of all of the other competitors in the field. So, in, like in the eight-person free-for-all, trading with somebody else it, it puts you at a much much higher statistical advantage than you would have if you refused to trade you will win a lot more trading than not trading in that scenario, especially if you do it effectively. So there, there is some basis for having a trade system, even in a game like Civ, where you can only have one winner. Yep. Even from a sheer competitive standpoint, it, it is still valuable to trade. Hmm. Well, if Polycast is comfort food, I think our audience has been able to feast on an extra helping. That's right. So I mean, I am. It is. It is an if statement, so it's not necessarily true. But if it is, <gasps> wow. <laughs> Here's an extra helping. Now the indigestion will come later. Oh well, sorry. You know, <laughs> we can't give you everything. Yeah, that, you're confusing indigestion later with politicast. <laughs> <laughs> you could have both at the same time. Well, thank you for listening to Polycast episode number 359. I've been one of your regular hosts, Mega Bears fan, along with Makalua. To do things right and I'm doing it wrong again. Hi, internet. Bye, internet. The me and team. What a tasty treat. And Dan Q. Thanks for getting stuffed. 
wait, hold up. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Thanks, George. They'll just spike you right at the net. Ah, and now the listeners can speculate on what it is we're talking about. That's right. Oh boy. And when, and when the forum topic about this episode comes up, be sure to post your ideas there. Civilization 4, 5, 6, and Beyond Earth Sound Clips, copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.